I think that the best customer experience when you're engaging with a brand is generally one that is as frictionless as possible and doesn't require you to directly engage with the company. So I really subscribe to this belief that the best customer support you could possibly get is not needing customer support at all. Hello and welcome to Good Data, Better Marketing, the ultimate guide to driving customer engagement. Today's episode features an interview with Adele Hedden, head of customer experience at FAIR. But first, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Twilio Segment. In today's digital-first economy, being data-driven is no longer aspirational. It's necessary. Find out why over 20,000 businesses trust Segment to enable personalized, consistent, real-time customer experiences by visiting segment.com. Building and maintaining brand loyalty is the goal of every company. And one way to achieve that is through exceptional customer experience. But what exactly does that mean? Take pet supply retailer Chewy, who has made headlines for their generosity towards customers after the death of their pets. One shopper received a full refund on an unopened bag of prescription dog food, flowers, and a card after her dog passed away. Others have said they were gifted hand-painted portraits of their beloved animals. These small acts of kindness create a deep emotional connection to the brand. That's why I invited customer experience expert Adele Hedden onto the show. Adele is the head of customer experience at FAIR, an online wholesale marketplace connecting brands and retailers across the globe. FAIR's aim is to create a customer experience so frictionless that you don't even know it's there. In today's episode, Adele and I dig into the service recovery paradox, metrics you should be tracking to uplevel your CX strategy, and how the employee and customer experience go hand in hand. Adele, thank you so much for being here. It's it's great to see a familiar face. The way that I like to kind of start these off is learn a little bit about you and how you got to where you are today. So I know you've been on a career journey and customer experience has kind of been um, your realm of expertise for quite a while now. So tell me about, you know, some of the starting places and how you got to FAIR. Thanks. I'm super happy to be here. So I've been working in customer-facing operations teams for almost all of my career and candidly really stumbled into the role. I think I wanted to break into tech. I didn't know where to start. I took a customer-facing ops role at what at the time was a startup called Uber and figured that I'd just sort of get my foot in the door and kind of figure it out from there. I ended up just really loving the work. I think large-scale customer-facing roles play really well to my skill sets. I love, love people. And this area of the business is just entirely about people. So I think as an entry-level employee, I was on the front line sort of directly interacting with drivers and sort of interacting with people day in and day out. And as I've grown and progressed in my career, I don't spend my time directly interacting with customers, but the focus of my job has always been about people. So I'm either designing an experience for customers or for people or thinking about how to manage and inspire a large a large team and a group of people. So ultimately, I think every problem that I look at boils down to a people problem, and I love that. And so I've stayed in this space ever since. I spent six years at Uber, worked or a little over six years at Uber, working in a variety of roles in their sort of customer operations team and led CX at a small startup and then took a leadership role at Rent the Runway on their customer operations team. And now I lead customer experience globally at FAIR. That's amazing. So let's learn a little bit more about FAIR. It might not be as familiar to some of our listeners. FAIR is a B2B marketplace, as I understand it, but would love to learn a little bit more in your own words of um, what y'all do. Fair is a wholesale marketplace taking a data-driven approach to connecting local independent retailers with the best brands and artisans to stock their shelves. 
And ultimately, the mission of FAIR is to help entrepreneurs chase their dreams, whether that's the artisan candle maker hoping to grow their business or the enterprising shopkeeper looking to stock their shelves with unique goods for their local community. Um, so on the retailer side, FAIR lets retailers try before they buy and use financial terms that eliminate inventory risk and provide access to capital. And this levels the playing field in sort of key areas that previously prevented small businesses from successfully competing against major retailers. On the brand side, the platform provides sales, marketing, and analytics tools so that sellers can simplify their wholesale business and actually focus on making great products. That's an amazing mission. So very mission-driven company that it seems like you're working for and probably a little bit competitive with some of the bigger guys like Amazon. So how do you all differ from some of those big box retailers like the Amazons or Alibaba's maybe? Yeah. So from the beginning, the success at FAIR really depends on the success of brands and retailers. So unlike a traditional channel like a trade show or something like that, which would demand an upfront fee from a retailer in order for them to participate, we only make commissions on sales when a retailer and a brand finds a new relationship on our platform. So this is why I think a lot of the magic in FAIR and why customer experience becomes so important is there's so much magic in the customer community. And there honestly is isn't a really solid comparison between FAIR and Amazon simply because of that structure. We're really trying to do something fundamentally different. We're operating in tangentially, but not, not similar spaces. Yeah, y'all are kind of like breaking the wholesale model completely in a lot of ways. And yeah. that's like a very innovative solution to as what I understand the wholesale industry to be. That's, that's fascinating. And so two sides of a marketplace lots of customers and, you know, making sure that you have the, the retailer side, the supplier side. What is your role? Where do you fit in? How are you making sure you're building great customer experiences at FAIR? Yeah, it's a great question. And I know what a customer experience is differs depending on the company. So at FAIR, I lead the customer experience organization. This is a large organization. It's got hundreds of employees and we're responsible for ensuring that customers at FAIR have a frictionless experience on the FAIR platform. So we support the over 500,000 retailers across North America, Europe, Australia, and 70,000 brands from around the world with all aspects of their experience with the FAIR platform from sale to dispute to shipping. You, you name it, we would support, support the experience. Additionally, we serve internally as the voice of the customer, helping to sort of advocate for and support the design of a frictionless and seamless experience and really ensuring that our product teams have the right information that they need to build product and build experiences that solve customer pain points. That's amazing. So as the kind of voice of the customer within the organization, I am sure that you are kind of the tip of the spear as it relates to understanding the trends that are really driven by consumers. So can you walk me through what some of those trends might look like as it relates to customer experience in this kind of like wholesale retail space? I think there's a lot. I think customer experience has really changed a lot over the last five to 10 years. I think the two trends that really stand out to me. I think first we're seeing across the board a real reduction in the need from a human to human interaction when you're engaging with a brand. And I think previously when you engaged with a brand, it was either through, you know, marketing and sign up. And then if you had an issue with a, with a brand, you really talked to a person, you know, you were on the phone or you were sending an email. And I think across the board, we're seeing a shift towards, you know, proactive support. So customer support that doesn't even require you to reach out to a brand. So, you know, a brand knows that your shipment is delayed and lets you know about it so that you don't need to reach out to the brand and, and, and follow up in your shipment. Your video has trouble buffering and Netflix 
alerts you, corrects it, lets you know what to do. So I think that's one piece of it. And the second piece of it is self-service. So how can we automate a lot of the actions that were previously being done by a person and enable customers to do it themselves? I think that's one major trend that I've seen. And then the second that I would call out is just this idea of personalization. And I think this hits at sort of all aspects of the customer experience. So I think whether or not we're personalizing the customer journey. So like what I see when I go to the fair website or what I see when I turn on my Netflix differs from what someone else would would see to also sort of things that my my team would deal with. So sort of like personalized issue resolution. So depending on who you are, if an issue arises, we take different steps to resolve it. Another example of where we're seeing personalization in the industry is I think surprise and delight with a really personalized touch. I think a brand that does this really well is Chewy. And so seeing how can brands sort of like go above and beyond for their customers based on data that they they have about their customers. You trying out. to get some like Chewy, chewy referral codes Always right now? trying to get Chewy <laughs> referral codes. I've got dogs that you'll probably see in the background. Love, love, love what they're doing, both from a customer <laughs> experience and product perspective. Shout out to Chewy. Yeah, they definitely do have great customer experience. I've heard some amazing ones as it relates to like, if a dog passes away, they give you like, you know, credits towards dog food that was on the way and and send you flowers in the mail, like unbelievable above and beyond customer experience, which is so one-to-one and so meaningful when something big happens in your life. And Personalization is something that I hear about all the time on this podcast, which I think is really interesting. And one of the things that I think is that I was picking up on kind of your first kind of answer here is software getting more and more important, cloud-based applications probably getting more and more important in the space. And so I'm really curious to learn a little bit more about maybe some of those softwares or some of the data that, you know, you're kind of leveraging because a lot of this is really transitioned to digital. How is that impacting some of your strategies as it relates to, you know, the teams that you're building? So how data impacts sort of broader strategy? At a high level, I think that the best customer experience when you're engaging with a brand is generally one that is as frictionless as possible and doesn't require you to directly engage with the company. So I really subscribe to this belief that the best customer support you could possibly get is not needing customer support at all. Um, And so that's, I think, high-level strategy. And there's so many areas where data plays a role in executing that strategy. So data will help you identify sort of opportunities for and subsequent policies for something like self-service. They'll enable the business to actually monitor the impact of self-service and proactive support. Because when you remove the one-to-one interaction with the brand, you lose a bit of the feedback loop. And it becomes increasingly important that you're looking at data to monitor how are customers reacting to the policies that you've rolled out. You know, do they like this $5 credit or are they so pissed off that they never come back again? Pieces like that. And so I think data becomes increasingly important as you remove that sort of feedback loop, for lack of a better word. I think the other piece of customer support strategy and customer experience strategy that I think about is like when you do need to engage with a brand, how can you make that experience as frictionless, efficient, and personalized as possible. And that's another area of the business where I think data plays a key role. So when you think about like a frictionless experience, to me, that's one where it's super easy to contact support. You know, you can text them, you can tweet at them, you can call them, you can email them. And that type of modality strategy requires an incredibly robust data because it requires super granular forecasting and requires you to really 
be staffing your team and supporting your team to meet the inbound needs of customers. And then I think on the efficient side, I think we're seeing data really, really, really play a role in how quickly issues can get resolved if you know as much as possible about your customer before your customer reaches out to you or before your customer needs is to engage with your brand. And again, that's all a data problem. So if you call an airline, do they know that you've already taken a flight? Do they know that your flight is delayed? And can they use that information to make the situation right for you? And then the final is obviously personalization, which we've already talked about, but data really sort of enables that personalized touch, which I think helps a lot. And I think one of the things that I think about from a strategy perspective is obviously the best case scenario is there's no issues at all. But something I think about a lot in my job um, is something called the service recovery paradox, which is really this belief that if your brand loyalty is at a certain point and something goes wrong and and an organization sort of really recovers and really goes above and beyond for you, your brand loyalty will actually be higher after the recovery than it was before something went wrong. And I've seen that so many times in my career. Like when you ask people, you know, why do you love Apple? Why do you love Delta? Why do you love Ritz-Carlton? It's because those brands went above and beyond when something went wrong. Really, ultimately, in order to enable those types of experiences, you need data. You need to know what should the policy be here? You know, what about the customer happened and how can we make it right? And it's just sort of ingrained in every piece of piece of what we do. That's so right. It's like making sure that you're giving somebody a human experience, even though it's a brand and like owning up to a mistake if you're making it is I think probably just the most human thing of all time. And yes, I am loyal to certain airlines for pretty much that exact reason. Exactly. No, it's huge. It's huge. Airlines and brands and brands become famous for this. I mean, L.L. Bean, I feel like is famous for their returns policy. Like they are famous because they make things right for people. A hundred percent. Patagonia. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's amazing. I love those examples. And I think that what you're talking about is this, you're like, everything relies on data. Underlying data set is super crucial, getting really granular with it. I guess you're going into a new organization. You've had a few different lead roles at at these organizations and marketplaces and kind of building this customer success strategy, customer experience strategy. What are some of the foundational data points and or even sources of data that you're looking to make sure that you're connecting so you're creating those customer profiles? How are you thinking about that as you're kind of starting in a new role? Like, What are the pieces of the puzzle that you're bringing together? A main piece of data is looking at both contact rate and defect rate, and that's going to be measured differently depending on your organization. But contact rate is usually for whatever you're sort of at an e-commerce company, it would just be orders. At at Uber, it was trips. How frequently do customers contact your organization over the denominator of, you know, trips or orders or whatever? So what is the rate that customers are getting in touch with you as you're sort of delivering products? That's a really important one because that obviously impacts how many one-to-one human experiences your team needs to be prepared for and equipped for. Defect rate is, I think, another really important thing to look at as we increasingly shift towards self-service and we shift towards less and less human interactions. It's critical that companies sort of continue to look at defect rate. And defect rate is a combination of both contact rate and also how many times did customers engage with self-service tools to resolve their issues? And that metric is going to give you a really, really, really good pulse on whether or not your product experience is working or whether or not your product experience is broken and your customers are frequently contacting you to fix things, either talking to a person or resolving the issue themselves on the help center or you know via self-service. And so that, I think, is sort of 
I believe, sort of like the North Star metric that should guide most customer experience organizations because it's giving you both on the contact rate side a really good pulse on sort of what you need to be planning for on the operation side and on the defect rate side, giving you a really good sort of like peek under the hood as to how the customer experience is working for customers and the product is working for customers. Other things that I that I look at sort of are are more focused on the team operations side. So you're looking at things like SLA, you're looking at efficiency, you're looking at CSAT, you're looking at those sort of classic metrics that you would use to manage a large-scale operations team. I think those are really important. And I think, you know, probably a little bit out of scope for this, this podcast, but really important data points in terms of just managing the back-end operation. The other data point that I think is increasingly important is looking at issue typing and having really solid issue type data so you know why customers are getting in touch with you. And there have been a really, really interesting uptick and sort of focus in this space is actually looking at customer emails and customer contacts and pulling out issue type and using really, AI to do that. Exactly. Exactly. Using, using language processing to figure out what customers are talking to you about. And that I think can also really inform both how you staff your team, because most teams are going to be staffed basically by some sort of issue type grouping for specialization and also how you share information more broadly in the company. It's like, Hey, here's what 50% of customers have issues with. And, and we should, as a result, do X, Y, and Z. That's interesting. I feel like every organization that I've ever run has been a Salesforce organization. And, you know, whenever I'm trying to get inspiration for a new campaign, I'll run a closed one, a closed loss. Like, you know, I'll try to run reports in Salesforce. And a lot of it has to do with that field, which is closed, lost reason, which is exactly what you're talking about right now, which is in many ways in, in, in most CRMs, super manual. So I'm like, yeah. yes, let's use ML, let's use AI to be able yep. to like more accurately categorize these things yep. so we can get better data and better results to actually run effective campaigns. Because right now we're really relying on somebody who a lot of the time salespeople are running so fast, they don't want to do this, right? Yeah. They, they're chasing down another deal. And so from the B2B side, I like am empathizing with these people that are getting commissions and trying to chase the next deal after they've lost one and not giving us good data in return. But yeah, that's challenging. What do you think is the biggest challenge as it relates to building customer experience journeys? Have you experienced any on your team currently or maybe in previous roles? <laughs> Plenty of challenges. I'm sure. <laughs> I think one of the biggest challenges in running a customer experience team is expanding focus beyond just sort of the day-to-day -day operations of the team. And I think one of the biggest challenges that I you know, I've seen sort of regardless of where I am, is how do you establish sort of a scalable operating system to ensure that customer feedback is being leveraged to inform product decisions? I think as a customer experience leader, you're sitting on a wealth of information. You know, your team is the team that's most frequently engaging with customers. You have really good insights into what's working for the customers and what's not, but there usually does tend to be a disconnect between those operations teams and some of the product and, and design and engineering teams actually building products for customers. And so I think solving what's the feedback loop there, how are we surfacing things like contact rate and issue type data to product and engineering teams in a way that actually works is, I think, a tough one to solve. At FAIR, what we've done is we've established a customer advocacy program across the company. This 
program has enabled our engineering product design and data teams to partner directly with customer facing team members sort of at all stages of the product life cycle. And very tactically what this program is, is we've identified sort of high performing tenured customer facing team members, and we've taken them off of their roles in the front line supporting with customers, and we've embedded them within the product and engineering teams. And so these are employees who've spent years directly interfacing with our customers. They're like incredible incredibly knowledgeable about the customer experience. And, and then they're shifted into a new role where they can advocate for the customer voice. They can help resolve escalations that come up as a result of a new launch. And they're the employees at the company who are responsible for supporting the enablement of a feature post-launch. So building out the internal knowledge base resources and really equipping their you know, former peers to respond to issues related to a new feature launch. I think that this has been a really impactful program, I think for, for many reasons. One, I think it's really helped solve the problem of how do you get feedback to the product and engineering teams and how do you make sure that customer-facing teams have a seat at the table. Second, and this sort of like is related to sort of my other passion, is it's a really compelling career path for a customer operations team member. And I think oftentimes, you know, something that is really exciting to me about leading a customer experience team is just the bench of talent that you get to build and finding opportunities to get employees exposure to other areas of the business outside of operations is so exciting to me. And I think there are, there's just a lot of talent in CX that deeply understands the customer and getting exposure across the business is really important. I fully hear you there. I used to run, I was a customer marketer and I ran customer education at my last company and cabs and making sure that, you know, we could embed that feedback loop mm -hmm. into the product engineering was something that we used to think about all the time. And really, I mean, some of the solutions were so manual and making yeah. sure that you're pulling, you know, G2 product reviews and manually categorizing them and right. sending them over into Slack channels. And, you know, we created automations between Salesforce and Slack channels in the same way, making sure that salespeople would input new ideas or feedback they were getting from the customers. But it's a really, really hard thing to scale. And I love the elegance of just saying, let's put somebody who knows this really, really well <laughs> into the seat. Like, that yeah. is brilliant and something that I haven't heard before. And, you know, I always interview salespeople to be marketers because I think that they are as the tip of the spear. Yeah. They have the best ideas. So, totally. you know, in my world, I think that that's kind of a little bit of an equivalent is, you know, this way better than anybody else. You can speak to our customers better than anybody else. You probably have the best ideas. And so come over and let's learn from you because right. you're doing this every single day. Right, right. Let's value that providing the feedback and serving as the voice as a role, not a side job. Like this is your job. And I think that also is, I really helped a lot in making this really stick. I love that, not a side job. And I think that that's something that most companies think it is. There's, mm -hmm. you know, if you're running a cab, you're probably also running seven different other programs. And exactly. That in of itself is such a rich source of data and, and making sure that you can really pair a lot of that qualitative data that's coming from those experiences and matching it up to a lot of what you're tracking and, and a lot of the quantitative data that you were just saying to piece together that strategy. Who do you think is doing it right in terms, in of, terms customer of customer experience? experience? Yeah. Ooh, jinx. In what context? Give me a few. There's so many companies that I take note of in my day-to-day. -day. Um, 
So we already talked about one. So I think from a surprise and delight perspective and really going above and beyond for those like sort of like magical moments, I think Chewy is really best in class. And we already talked about that. Another huge part of my job is employee training, management and empowerment. And how do you equip your employees to really deliver a fantastic experience? There are some companies that do a phenomenal job in this space and whose learning and development programs I just... I'm fascinated by. I'd call out Trader Joe's as one and Disney as another and just super, super interesting operationally. And I think I, you know, huge Trader Joe's fan and can point to like so many examples across any state of when they've, you know, opened a bag of peanut butter dark chocolate cups for me and it just just rocks. (laughs) I love it. Did you Um, see that they shut down their wine store in Union Square? Yeah, I'm upset about that, but we're moving on. They're still on my list. (laughs) So they're, they're definitely one. And then I think they're like the big players who are just really, really, really good at delivering a really consistent and frictionless experience. So really sort of on this sort of best support is no support or really sort of best in class there. And I'd call out Netflix for doing a fabulous job there. Like I have used Netflix every day of my life for years and years and years, and I've never talked to Netflix. You're right. Yeah, ever, ever, literally ever. I think Apple is another one, obviously. It's really sort of an industry leader. I think the other area of CX to call out is modality strategy and sort of what channels are you talking to customers? And I think across the industry, we're seeing a real death of the phone. I think as millennials become an increasing part of the consumer base, and I think millennials hate the phone, you could not pay me to make a phone call. The worst. <laughs> it's like when my mom calls me, I'm like, is everything okay? Like that's yeah, the first exactly. thing out of my mouth. Exactly. So we're shifting away from the phone. And I think a lot of brands are doing a good job of responding to that. And I think particularly some of the airlines actually have done a really nice job. I think Delta has done a really good job. I think JetBlue does a good job of communicating with you via text or via chat. I'm really sort of meeting with you where you're at. Like you can be running from gate to gate in the airport and getting support from Delta, whereas it would be super inconvenient to be on the phone with them. That's interesting. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about modality strategy. Obviously, yeah. in, in the marketing side, we always talk about, you know, different channels, channel of choice, making sure yep. you're hitting people across, of course, their channel of choice and that preference, but also every channel, surround sound, making sure that people really understand the whole brand experience. So, mm-hmm. you know, you just talked about how phones are perhaps on their way out uh, or maybe have specific use cases. What are some of the, the the channels that you all are leveraging more? What are some of the ones that are always going to be kind of like ubiquitous and, and here to stay? Yeah. So, I mean, phone and email are always going to be here to some extent. I think there are always there's going to be a sort of edge case issues that people want to talk out on the phone. And I think they're also always going to be customers who want to engage on the phone. Email is, again, I think always going to be a modality that, that you have to service. The other modalities that we're starting to see is we're starting to see more text-based. So actual like SMS support or support via iMessage or support via WhatsApp is becoming increasingly common. And then live chat, obviously, and that either an in-app or a web chat support experience. And then the final one is social media. I think increasingly over the last five years, we've seen social media actually show up as a support channel. You know, something goes wrong and people tweet at the brand and the brand is expected to reply. And a lot of people actually use social media as like a hack, like, oh, I'll get a faster response if I just, you know, light them up over Twitter. And that's something that brands have to like, you know, think about and service and make sure is, is a channel in and of itself. I think on modality strategy, and I think where CX actually differs a little bit from marketing is there's a huge strategy from a CX side of sort of 
obviously you want to be available to customers and you want to meet customers where they're at. But from a cost to service perspective, there are certain contacts that as a business, I would prefer to answer over email because it is more efficient and more scalable for our business to respond to this over email. There are certain contacts which it may be beneficial for the business to respond to via chat. You know, you're literally trying to place an order and you have an issue. If we meet you right where you're at and solve that issue, you probably place the order. But if it's a 24-hour delay on email, you know, maybe you won't place the order. Maybe you'll forget about it. And so the difference, I think, in CX is there becomes not only should you offer this sort of array of modalities, but you need to be really strategic about where you route customers. And based on your customer value and your issue type, we want you to chat us. We actually don't want you to call us. And so we're going to surface certain things to push you towards chat over email. Phone's still available, or phone, pardon me. Phone's still available if you really want it, but we're going to nudge you in the direction of a modality that makes sense to us and, and works for us. And where I see brands getting modality strategy wrong is they don't do that. They just offer five different modalities and it's just sort of like a free-for-all and they haven't taken the next step of, yes, we have these offerings, but here's how we want to leverage these offerings and here's what we want to do with these offerings. And I think that's where you can really level up on the modality side. That's super smart. I think the frictionless, you know, idea here, like me not knowing that you are serving me a particular modality over another is just brilliant. And like knowing that about your customer and segmenting them in different ways is fascinating. Yeah. Very cool. And that's a data problem. It's, you know, what are they contacting us about? You know, is this an issue that is better resolved over chat? And also what do we know about this customer? How valuable is this customer to us and how much we spend on the interaction? Interesting. And so what is, everything's going, running through a CDP, like what are some of the tools that are like actually powering this strategy that you have? I've seen it many, many different ways. So I think there are great off-the-shelf CRMs for CX. And I think a lot of people leverage Zendesk, they leverage customer, they leverage those softwares to, to manage customer-facing interactions. I've also seen just purely built in-house. So fully integrated with tools, you know, embedded into the app and just a part of the in-house experience. I think you can do it either way from your baseline CRM. I think the layer on top of it that I think is really important, I think it's really important to invest in tools that empower agents and give agents the right level of information so that they can resolve and, and, and sort of deliver the experience that, that you're looking for. I think a tool that I've been super impressed with recently has been Guru, which is a knowledge-based platform that services insights I've to agents. i them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, have, I think they've done a great job in it and in their space. And then the final piece is obviously the, on the data side, which we've talked about, and making sure that your CRM data feeds into the broader data system at the company. I think I've seen in organizations where the customer experience data is sort of orphaned from the broader organization, and it becomes really challenging to then pull the customer experience data to drive insights. And then also we talked about this, but using products that connect with the CRM to pull insights. And I think Chattermill is a great example of a product that's sort of embedded in top of the, the CRM and can pull insights and help you understand why customers are contacting you, how frequently they're contacting you and things like that. Yeah, we hear that all the time is making sure that all the tools fit together and it's talk just kind of other. a frictionless experience. They talk to each other and, and that can happen in real time because I'm sure that especially on your side of the house, things that are happening are, at least in the customer's shoes, exceptionally urgent and need to be solved yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, so being able to, to actually do that in real time or as close to real time as possible is going to be important. Yeah. If the goal is to deliver a frictionless experience to customers... You also need to deliver a frictionless experience to your employees who are interacting with customers. And the idea that you could just have 
a, a smooth, seamless interaction with the customer. If the employee is going to like 10 different di different places, you know, can't pull the data that they need, can't get the information that they need, it's never going to happen. And so it needs to be frictionless, I think, on both sides. An investment in the employee experience for, in these cases is usually an investment in the customer experience down the line. And I think that's an important one to, to think I about. love that. I love that so much. You have so many of these little nuggets as it relates to making sure that people are getting the most out of their careers and, and using a skill set in one way and kind of transitioning into another. But that's a really, that's amazing insight that I've never heard before, which is that your internal experience is probably going to be mimicked in your external experience, especially as it relates to tools. You're right. If I'm searching around in 20 different apps to kind of try to figure out and solve my problem, it's probably going to be mimicked on the customer <laughs> side of the house. That's Yeah. You're like, yeah, I've, I've seen yes. that happen a couple of times. Yes, yes, yes. What's your favorite piece of data, if you have one? Ooh, I think we talked about this, but I think looking at defect rate and contact rate and making sure that that's just a North Star. And to the extent that you can embed that as a North Star metric across the company, I think it's really powerful. And then if you can go one level deeper and map different issue types within contact rate or defect rate to specific product pods or however your organization is organized and actually hold specific pods accountable to the friction that they've caused on the customer side, I think that can be a really, really, really powerful tool for creating and designing a frictionless experience. Very cool. And what are your recommendations for somebody if they were to delve into customer experience for the first time or if they're looking to up-level their strategy, what would you share with them for words of advice? Oh, wow. I think I just gave my word of advice and my metric question is I think to the extent that you're able to have at least one North Star sort of company-wide metric that you're talking about that's related to customer experience, I think it's really important. And I think contact rate or defect rate or whatever sort of, whatever you're looking at is usually the right one. And then we talked about the modality strategy piece, which is I think another piece of advice is it's not just about offering those systems. It's about making sure that you're using them the correct way. And then the third is invest in the team. I think the best part of my job is the team that I get to work with and the, and the employees that I get to engage with and the careers that I get to think through development paths for. And I think actually spending the time investing in the team has just an outsized impact on the experience that you ultimately deliver to customers. And also, I think, can be one of the most rewarding aspects of the job. I love that. Customer experience in so many ways starts with the team experience and the culture 100%. that you are building internally. Adele, thank you so much for everything today. I really appreciate it. Yay. This podcast is brought to you by Twilio Segment. In today's digital first economy, being data-driven is no longer aspirational. It's necessary. Segment's leading customer data platform empowers every team with good data. From marketing and product to engineering and analytics, Segment unifies data silos into a single view of the customer. It allows teams to make data-driven decisions and personalize customer engagement in real time, all with one single platform to collect and manage your data. Curious to find out why over 20,000 businesses trust Segment to be their data foundation? You can learn more by visiting segment.com.